Hey, I'm in Japan. I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Mr. Joseph Canoes will join us to discuss the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, paralysis affects millions of individuals around the globe, and the challenges faced by those with some form of paralysis are far-reaching. However, medical science is working on new and innovative options. Well, what are the treatment options, and what are the true prospects for a cure for paralysis? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Joseph Canoes. Mr. Canoes is the Vice President of the Christopher and Dana Reeve Quality of Life Program, and he joins us today to discuss this very fascinating issue. Mr. Canoes, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thanks for having me today. Well, it's certainly our pleasure, and I think this is a really certainly a very fascinating issue, one that I think a lot of people are interested in. If you could tell us a little about the uh, Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Sure. Well, when Christopher was alive, he was obviously very interested in getting out of the chair. That was his primary interest. So the mission of the foundation that carries on his legacy that he actually formed is to find cures for spinal cord injury. But at the same time, we work to improve the quality of life of people that are living with paralysis in the here and now through grants programs and information and referral services and advocacy. And that really represents the second part of our name, which is Dana Reeve. You know, while Chris was very focused on looking for the cure and and the research and funding scientists around the world, Dana was interested in trying to help people dealing with the caregiving issues that she was dealing with, the day-to-day getting Chris around and all of the issues that they both saw out there when they traveled around the country and met people living with paralysis. Quality of life grants are given out twice a year to nonprofits around the country that are doing things in their communities that are helping people and their families that are living with paralysis. So it might be building ramps and modifying homes or sending children to uh, in wheelchairs to summer camp, providing equipment for wheelchair sports teams like wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis, etc. It's a nice program that was established by Dana in 1999, and since 99, we've given grants to over 1,500 nonprofits around the country for about $12 million. We've had a lot of great opportunities to support Paralympians in their training to be able to attend the Paralympics and achieve their life goals in sports competitions. We've worked with organizations that are creating and making sure that states have accessible voting booths just so many, they're almost too numerous to list. Uh, We do have on our website a complete list of all of the grants that have been given out, and it's a list that people could search by zip code if they're interested in finding organizations that are local to where they live as well. Hmm. I'd say, though, that the other part of the Quality of Life program that is really, really important for people to know about is our Paralysis Resource Center. 
We operate a free service uh, in conjunction with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with uh, information specialists that specialize in answering questions for people living with paralysis and family members about dealing with secondary conditions, health conditions, financial issues, emotional issues, and things of that nature. We have a toll-free number. That's 800-539-7309. And people can also find us through our website at www.christopherreeve.org. All right. Well, I hope people will go uh, take a look at that. For those who perhaps know someone with paralysis, or what are some of the challenges really that face those who are dealing with some form of paralysis? Well, it's actually a widespread way of looking at what people face if you think about paralysis functionally. And this is, in fact, something that we've just completed here at the foundation with a nationwide survey of identifying the number of people who are paralyzed, meaning who have difficulty or the complete inability to move their arms or legs. And the causes of paralysis there are things like stroke and spinal cord injuries, but also diseases like multiple sclerosis or ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, cerebral palsy. And uh, what we found in this survey is something that we've never known in this country before is that there are close to 5.6 million people in this country that are currently living with a paralyzing condition, a mobility limitation. And the reason that we look at paralysis functionally is because many of the conditions and the problems that people face are similar regardless of how they got into the wheelchair. So for example, what are the kinds of problems? Well, environmental issues are a big issue, meaning accessibility into buildings and facilities. We are almost about to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act in this country, and yet there are still so many places that are inaccessible to people who are in wheelchairs. And that really presents a multitude of problems of participating in the community, being able to get into PTA meetings or being able to attend events that others are able to attend. So community participation becomes a problem. Certainly there's a lot of challenges that people face with secondary medical conditions. Christopher himself struggled with decubitus ulcers or pressure sores that can occur on someone that really can't feel what's going on and, you know, are sitting too long or laying too long in one position. And those kinds of sores can be very serious. And in fact, in Christopher's case, it was because of a pressure sore that he was taking antibiotics that he had a reaction to that led to his death. So medical issues that go far beyond that, issues around the loss of bone density and osteoporosis, infections, pneumonia is a leading cause of death amongst people with spinal cord injuries, lots of urinary tract infections and things of that nature that are all part of the research agenda now. It's not all just about a cure to get somebody to be able to walk again. Certainly that's wonderful and we continue to work in that direction, but we also are looking at incremental improvements and helping people overcome other issues that they face when they're living with paralysis. For example, I know a doctor who is high-level quadriplegic who would love to get the use of his hands back. His hands are spastic and as a doctor, that's the most important thing for him. 
and even more important than being able to walk at this point. Hmm. And you mentioned in your survey that there are uh, people who are suffering from some form of paralysis. This is much more than had previously been recognized. Why is this the case? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is that what we did was to go out and do a population-based survey, which means we did a random-digit dial telephone survey of over 33,000 households in the country. And previously, there's never been a survey of that dimension and that size done around disability. In the past, a lot of data has been collected from medical hospital discharge information and things like that. And what you don't capture there are people that have a form of paralysis that isn't so severe that they're in a wheelchair. What we picked up were a lot of people that um, have mobility limitations, that they use a walker, a cane, or other kinds of things to be able to help them with their ambulation. There's, in the case of spinal cord injury, in our survey, we found 1,275,000 people with a spinal cord injury of varying degrees of, of severity. Previously, the number that had been kicked around was 250,000 people. There's a world of difference when you look at it both in terms of measuring a population by a population-based survey as well as looking for all forms of severity of the condition, not necessarily just the most severe ones that you would see in a high-end rehabilitation hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, Christopher never believed that the 250,000 number was right. He just sensed that people were out there, too many people he was seeing in his own travels around the country. And another reason that this number is so drastically different is people live longer today with something like a spinal cord injury. It's uh, medical advances are allowing people to live near normal lifetimes. And that means that the population has been growing and growing and growing and not necessarily measured in the right way to understand its true dimensions at this point in time. This certainly provides uh, greater impetus for creating uh, better treatments for uh, these individuals. Well, that's what it's all about, of course. We don't just want to know the number, but we want to influence uh, both public and private investment in helping individuals living with paralysis. So in the case of private investment, uh, drug development, I frequently get calls and have gotten calls in the past from pharmaceutical companies that want to know a market size. Here we're able to present a much more accurate number and a larger number that's going to encourage more private investment. Probably more importantly is public policy and public health programs, things like Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security, disability insurance. It's a much bigger problem that this country has, and we need to address the programs that have faults in them that cause people to have a much more difficult time living a high quality of life. For example, right now, if someone is spinal cord injured, If they lose their employment, which often happens, then they can apply for Social Security disability insurance, but that's going to take several months to get that flowing. Worse than that is that they're going to have to wait two years before they can qualify to get into the Medicare system. Well, now you're talking about somebody who's had an injury if they don't have private insurance and they need to go the public route. For two full years, they're going to have to find some way to deal with their medical costs and issues, um, that's really not right. 
at something that has to be changed in our public policies. Another part of that is that these programs have earnings limitations on them. What we found in this survey is that fully a quarter of the people that we talk to are living on household incomes of $10,000 a year or less. I mean, that's almost hard to imagine. That's a household income. Part of the reason for that is that in order for them to maintain their public benefit, they have to have a lower earnings. And that's kind of like saying to people that if you get a catastrophic injury, well, tough luck for you in the American dream. (laughs) you've got to stay in a poverty level. And that's just not right. It's not where we want to see things be. And we did this survey to learn more about what's going on with the population of people living with paralysis to be able to influence these programs and make changes in public policies that will help them live a better life. Are there any changes in the works to uh, some of these policies? Well, absolutely. And almost every health care reform bill that's before Congress right now, and there are many, does call for something that we called for as a result of the survey, which is eliminating the lifetime caps on insurance policies. I mean, right now, most private insurance policies carry a $2 million lifetime cap. That's really a problem for people that are living with a catastrophic condition like paralysis because you're going to run out of that money in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't make sense that we're going to insure people only up to a certain level when, in fact, the people that have the greatest need are going to have to be able to get beyond that. I'm really happy to see that that's one that is being paid a lot of attention to that. And uh, it's important that those caps get eliminated. Hmm. What are really the prospects for a cure? Well, you know, if you had asked that question 10 or 15 years ago, you would have probably heard that it's not something that can be done. Today, on the other hand, if you talk to a scientist, they'll tell you it's not a question of if, but rather a question of when. We've already seen a number of therapies that are in the works and in the pipeline that have varying degrees of success. For example, the foundation has a program called the Neuro Recovery Network. It's got seven centers around the country that are delivering a physical therapy called locomotor training, which is where we would suspend a person in a harness over a treadmill and have therapists move their legs to simulate walking. And what we found in the research over the years is that the memory of being able to walk isn't stored just in the brain, but there's actually part of that memory is stored down in the base of the spinal cord. So it's below the level of the injury. And by reawakening some of those connections, we've been able to get some people, it certainly doesn't work for everyone, but some people to literally come into that therapy in a wheelchair and walk away from it. We've got a great video up on our website of a young man that was able to do this uh, very recently, as a matter of fact. A lot of other people, and this is really important to understand, benefit from that kind of therapy because it gets them up out of their chairs and gets them exercising. So you see lots of other health benefits that can come from that. But for the true magic bullet kind of thing, well, I don't think we'll ever see a magic bullet. I think you're going to see a combination of drugs and physical therapies that will, in fact, enable people to regrow nerve connections that are 
destroyed in a spinal cord injury that will allow them to walk again. Some of that will come from looking at different therapies like stem cell research, which we do invest in at the foundation, although it's certainly not the only thing that we invest in. There are many other approaches to looking at cures, such as preventing the damage that occurs to the spinal cord immediately after an injury. A lot of what happens in a spinal cord injury that causes paralysis isn't at the instant that it is an injury, but rather it occurs over the next several days. So being able to prevent some of the damage there is another way of looking at curing, if you will, spinal cord injuries. There's many out there. I really am quite encouraged that we'll see this happen in our lifetimes. Are there any uh, things that the average person can do to protect themselves from such a condition? You know, it's a great question to ask, particularly at this time of the year when we're in the summer months. I mean, I won't talk about stroke. I think that for things like stroke, people know that high blood pressure is a great cause and one needs to be careful about that. And bad health practices like smoking or bad diets contribute to that. But when it comes to spinal cord injuries at this time of the year, here at our resource center, it's just tragic to hear the number of times that our phones ring where someone has taken a dive into water and they don't know the depth of the water and they've literally broken their neck in a pool, at the beach, in the ocean. It happens far too often. People really need to think carefully about knowing the depth of water before they dive into it. In the summer months, the number of cases that we see here is just staggering. And it's a shame because it's a preventable kind of thing if people think a little bit more carefully. Wearing seat belts is certainly another thing that makes a big difference. Being able to wear helmets when you're on bicycles or motorcycles These are also important steps that people need to take. There's a lot of things that if people think carefully about it, you really can reduce the chances that you're going to get a spinal cord injury. There are things that people can do around the community to help those who uh, have a disability. Well, that's also a great question. I think that a lot of times people will ask me things like, well, if I see a person in a wheelchair, trying to enter a building, should I open the door for them? Yeah, uh, offer. You can always offer. People will probably let you know quite clearly that, thanks for asking, but I can do that myself, or, gee, that would be great. Give me some help there. Helping with people get involved in fundraising for individuals and families that have experienced a spinal cord injury is another thing. I think that it's important to understand that the costs that private insurance will provide or public insurance will provide and the cost impact on the family don't equate. And so it's really a good thing to be able to help individuals with some private fundraising, bake sales, running in marathons. In fact, If folks in the Chicago area are interested, we will be having a Reeve team at the Chicago Marathon in October. So that's another way to get involved. 
Another one is that we do have a Chicago chapter of the Reeve Foundation, and the contact information for that you can find through our website at ChristopherReeve.org. They do a lot of things, including a fundraiser in Chicago that is a, a real opportunity for people to directly contribute to this kind of work. All right. Well, certainly hope you will go take a look at that. Running slightly out of time, I'm wondering if maybe you have some uh, final words and, again, where people can go find out more information about the foundation and, and paralysis. Yeah, I guess the thing I would say to, to close out here is that paralysis isn't a condition that ends someone's life. It does make a difference, obviously, but people living with paralysis are fully living their lives, having families, and doing the same kinds of things as everyone else. So life's not over in this situation. It's just a little bit different. So I would encourage people to think about what they could do to help people overcome some of those differences. And you can learn a lot about what those things might be, know how to access our information specialists by going to our website, ChristopherReeve.org, or you can call our toll-free number at 800-539-7309. All right. Well, Mr. Canoes, I want to thank you very much for joining us today to uh, talk about all the fascinating work you're doing at the uh, Foundation. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. And you were just listening to Mr. Joseph Canoes discussing the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. to play the game. It is the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic Superman or Lex Luthor. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're more like Superman or Lex Luthor and a little reason why. Uh, Mr. Cano, is you ready to play the game? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, here we go. Person number one, Superman or Lex Luthor, real estate mogul Donald Trump. Oh, Lex Luthor, <laughs> without a question. Very decisive, you're fired kind of personality that Lex would have. So I definitely have to put Donald in a Lex Luthor. Uh, all right. Well, number two is uh, the Microsoft chairman, Bill Gates. Superman. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Incredible guy in terms of what he's accomplished, but more importantly, what he's doing in philanthropy around the world. An absolute Superman. Love the guy. Indeed, indeed. All right, number three is the golfer Tiger Woods. Well, well, Superman because of how well he can play golf, and trust me, I know. I <laughs> wish I could get anywhere near his kind of game. Um, but, you know, he's a wonderful guy, and you know what? He looks a little bit like Superman, too, with that physique. Uh, number four is the huckster Bernie Madoff. You need to ask me the answer to that one. I mean, come on now. That's Alex Luther for sure, but I don't even know. There might be some uh, some other characters in the Superman series that would even better define him because 
He's worse than Lex. All right. And finally, number five, it's the President of the United States, Barack Obama. Hey, listen, to have accomplished being elected, I think the guy's a superman. I think that given what he's been doing in the first part of his term, especially for us, where we've seen the Christopher and Dana Reed Paralysis Act passed in Congress and signed by President Obama, and for his rescinding the executive order on banning federal funding for embryonic stem cell research, he's definitely Superman. All right. Well, Mr. Canoes, I want to thank you again for sticking around playing the game and, of course, talking about all the very fascinating uh, developments that are going on there at the Christopher and Dana Reeve Quality of Life Program. Thank you again for your time. Well, thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.